All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City, the borough of Queens, on the 28th day of September 2021. And I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to invite you to continue sending along whatever comments you might have about today's show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Of course, we want to thank our sponsors because without them, there would be no show. This week's sponsors, Novo Resources, El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, and Firefox Gold. Before I talk about today's show, I would like to let you know that El Oro Resources announced this morning another mineralized intersection, an amazing one, really, at its Isca Isca polymetallic project. Specifically, the company announced a 194-meter intersection grading 160.22 grams per ton silver equivalent. Now, this is a polymetallic project, so it has tin. It has all sorts of base metals. It is an amazingly large project and I think it is going to emerge. I think it has a very good chance of emerging into one of the largest silver deposits in the world. And this is one we're watching very close very closely, uh, El, Oro, uh, El Oro Resources. Well, all of our current sponsors have been doing extremely well in their exploration efforts, even if that's not uh, represented by their share prices lately. We are in a, a very weak market, but I believe uh, it behooves investors really to pay close attention to these emerging gold and silver deposits uh, because they're going to have their day. And as a matter of fact, just today I see there is a uh, an announcement that Kirkland Lake is being acquired by Agnew Eagle, uh, and that is um, and, and that is uh, I think portends the future. The mining companies that are these little juniors that are finding major deposits are going to be hunted down by the majors. Uh, and we have a number of them that we're watching. Most, I think, all of our sponsors are in that uh, are in that discussion, or will be uh, in the future. And there's a lot of others that I cover in my newsletter as well. So uh, I, I think that once it is realized that inflation and interest rates are out of control, and that the Fed has no choice but to hyperinflate the currency, there will be fewer places to hide. Very few places to hide, other than gold and silver. And I'm not cheering for that in that event to happen because only God knows what a new world monetary system will mean for each of us and our liberties. I think liberties and freedoms are something Americans have taken for granted so long. I think especially the younger folks have no idea what they're giving up in this process of going towards socialism. Uh, socialism. But uh, all I can say is reflecting on thousands of years of history, we do know one thing. One thing is very certain. 
and that is that gold retains its purchasing power, while fiat monies, which are really false, they're really, uh, uh, they're, they're really uh, just liability money, and they're only good if other people can pay their debts. Once the system uh, is insolvent, then fiat money goes, uh, goes to money heaven. But gold and silver, real money, actually retains its intrinsic value, and that has been proven over thousands of years. One more thing before I begin talking about today's show, I want to wish a happy birthday to a longtime faithful listener to this show named Will Hearus. Now, it is, uh, Will, Will will be 50 years of age on October 3rd, so I want to wish Will uh, a happy birthday. Uh, in my view, Will, let me just tell you that I think you're still a spring chicken, actually, because compared to me, I've had nearly 25 more trips around the sun than you have, because the next March... Lord willing, I will be uh, will have lived three quarters of a century compared to your half. In any event, happy birthday to you, and uh, thank you very much for being a good and faithful listener to this show. Now, with regard to today's show, the Money Tree, I've titled it the Money Tree, Open Borders, and Other AOC Fantasies. John Rubino, John Watson, and Michael Oliver are with me today. As the Biden administration invites the world's poor to come to America to receive free college, free medical care, free housing, free everything, and then vote Democrat, how will all of these services be paid for? No problem, says Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and AOC. A money tree at the Federal Reserve is the gift that just keeps on giving. Why worry? Money created by the Fed's keystrokes costs nothing. Moreover, the Fed's money tree has resulted in more stock market prosperity than ever thus proving the Fed's uh, omnipotence. But wait a minute. A simple glance at history reveals that the Keynesian monetary theory is a big fat lie. John Law tried it in 1719 and 1720, that time frame, when his French National Bank created so much debt, manufactured money, and blowing the Mississippi bubble that the financial system completely collapsed in 1720. That led to French national despair and the need for John Law to escape from France for his, to save his life. From being one of the richest men in the world from his Keynesian monetary theft process, he died a pauper a few years later in Venice, Italy. Well, John Robino will be along in the second half of today's show to explain why open borders and other vote-buying gimmicks are in fact leading to massive inflation now, not only in stock prices but in the real economy and thus forcing interest rates higher. As such, they are now threatening to lead to a Mississippi bubble encore, but that this one, the one that's being created now, will be vastly larger than the Mississippi bubble that ran from 1718 to 1720. So we'll ask John to provide some of his ideas about how we might best prepare for that fateful day uh, that may arrive sooner than uh, we expect. Um, and certainly, uh, as inflation is rising, the Fed is being forced to at least pay lip service to tapering and that is sending stock mar the stock market uh, spiraling lower today that really saw that the uh, the Nasdaq was down over 2% at one point in time anyway. Uh, so these are all issues that we'll be discussing with uh, John Rubino in the second half of the show. John Watson will join me in just a few minutes to give us an update on NV Gold. It's working in some very promising exploration projects in Nevada. And so we'll hear what John has to say when he's here right after our first commercial break. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us, uh, and uh, it's olivermsa.com, uh, where you should go to learn more about Michael's work, and it's very, very helpful to me personally, which is why he's with me every other week, as often as I can get him, in fact, 
Uh, and thank you for joining me again, Michael. Good to be back, Jay. It's always good to have you here. And I know my subscribers especially, uh, you know, they haven't heard a word I've said. They know that you're coming on, and so they've just they turned, they turned the speaker off. Oh, let's see, if, let's see if Michael's on. Okay, Michael's on. Let's hear what he has to say. So let's hear what you have to say, Michael. This is a day when the market is getting creamed. Equities are getting creamed, I should say. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, the, uh, there's two alternative markets to the stock market from an asset manager's point of view, and we've seen them come into play over the last year or so in sync with each other. That's T-bonds, uh-huh. price, that is, price direction, and gold. And sure enough, over the last several weeks, as gold has been bashed back down again, again, in a range. Uh, remember, the March low was 1673. Right now, we're in the mid-1700s, 1730, 40. Um, T-bonds got whacked for the last three weeks. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, um, our shorter-term work on T-bonds says that uh, we're oversold. This mm-hmm. week's action puts it in oversold condition and likely to see an upturn in T-bonds again. Well, why would T-bonds... You know, they're influenced by all kinds of things. Uh, Most people have sort of a mono view of them, like, oh, they they trend because of inflation or non-inflation. Okay, that's one factor, no no question. Uh, They're not under the thumb of the Fed because they're long-dated debt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unlike the short-term stuff that the Fed does control. So uh, asset managers can move T-bonds. Investors Mm -hmm. can move T-bonds in a new direction Mm -hmm. based on inflation expectations or simply a place to park money in an uncertain time. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily as a commitment to the T-bonds long-term, because they know there's risks there. If we have, in fact, inflation's coming back, T-bonds could come under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. But there's that other factor is the stock market looks questionable. Uh, most asset managers of size won't admit that publicly, but they'll sort of hem and haw and say, you know, well, you know, this is a little overdone here, overdone there, this factor, <laughs> that factor. And so, you know, no doubt that time to time, especially the more experienced asset managers are moving money piecemeal, mm-hmm. subtly, from stocks into a lower risk category. And mm-hmm. I think that's been gold and it's been T-bonds. And they both but. Did, did what? They made a low in March. They both rallied. They've been under pressure since, uh, almost in sync week to week. And I see this drop in gold that we're having right now as one that the bears had better win it because they had been bashing gold into the March low, which was the low of the move. 20% correction took them eight months to get it. Then they rallied back to 1900. Then they and in, in the May, after the May period, we had the Fed meeting. Remember that, the taper talk? Yeah. They bashed gold for about six hours there, two, two market days, took it down pretty good, rallied back up again. Then they had that, that mysterious overnight selling in the futures yeah. market in early August. It, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'll tell you what, that, that's, that smelled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, was, that was not legit, meaning... Nobody who wanted to sell gold, let's say exit a position in gold, let's say mm-hmm. they owned bullion and wanted to sell their futures out, would tell their broker to dump it mm-hmm. and sell at any price. Yeah. In other words, you would sell in a more subtle way, you know, right. here and there. So you get a good price, right? Right. Uh, you, and so the point being, hey. whoever dumped it didn't care. No, and they you went know. at a time when the market was very thin. Uh, oh, so sure, they dumped yeah. a huge yeah. amount of paper. Yeah. Uh, 
paper gold at the time when the market was very thin. So, yeah, it doesn't make yeah, any so sense. That, that just stinks. And uh, so I tend to buy that argument now that, uh, you know, they do this. But then I, I remember back in the late 70s during the bull market, then uh, where gold went from 103 to you know, $850 or something, the... Uh, the uh, the uh, there were massive gold, gold dumps yeah. by the IMF. The IMF yeah. was dumping gold. But every couple of months, they were dumping tons of gold, and they were selling it at official price. And occasionally, it would, it would cause gold to sell off. But after a while, pretty soon, that bull market just said, "Heck with it!" It just ate up mm-hmm. the sales. Just just mm-hmm. didn't even blip. <laughs> so I remember that, and those were huge quantities mm-hmm. of real gold. Yeah. Uh, so. Anyway, but what I see here is if I were a bear and I went short on the Fed news, the taper news, gold was then trading about 1850. Mm-hmm. Okay? We've come back up to that price level a couple times. In fact, over the last several months, the price high has been where? In the 1830s. Uh-huh. So even if you sold at the optimal news price and are a bear, right now you're up 100 bucks or so. Well, that's like 5 6%. Big deal. Mm-hmm. It's how many months later? So the bears better really get this thing rolling on the downside, or their game's going to be called on them. Mm-hmm. And I think that it could be if, if gold will simply stabilize here, not drop much more this quarter, meaning this next few days, and you get back over eighteen hundred again by much, I think they'll engage on the upside. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, bears and, uh, be the one who are scared at that point. So. Yeah, and I know that you you provide some specific numbers for your subscribers as well that are very helpful, certainly uh, to know. To have a sense of where, you know, where you have to be really careful and mm-hmm. and sort of uh, see uh, really key points or key key levels uh, that if they're breached, uh, we could go a lot lower. But uh, you know, I think you, you think we're what ten, twenty, thirty dollars away from those levels now, perhaps. Yeah, and I I think they got to do it this this month, meaning by Thursday. If they don't, the next couple the number, of trading numbers days. are going to shift in the new quarter and the new month, mm-hmm. such that it won't take much of a rally from these levels. Uh, not even back to the highs we saw over the last three months up in the 1830s. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get much back over 1800, and I think they're going to engage on the upside. In which case, I think the miners, which have been, of course, scaredy pants, uh, very weak, um, mm-hmm. could slingshot to the upside in yeah. a void. Well, um, I tell you, the, the majors are making lots of money these days. I know that's a fact, and um, mm-hmm. I guess I should talk about that. And we've seen a an acquisition today announced that uh, Kirkland Lake is being taken over by Agni Eagle. The big guys can't keep uh, produce; it can't keep discovering enough gold and silver uh, to keep producing at these levels. So the little guys, the ones that I like to follow, are the ones that have a chance to really, I think, just really do extremely well in this market. And Michael, as I hear what you're saying, I remember those 1970s, those days when there would be this massive attack on gold, uh, and then it would come bouncing right back. And uh, it was almost like the people that are looking to buy gold would say, thank you very much. Uh, I'll take that off your hands, and maybe that's yeah. what's happening again. Let's, mm-hmm. let's see what happens. I think so. I think it's yeah. around the corner. I think the issue is just simply don't go back down. Uh, to the low 1700. 1709 is our number for this quarter, mm-hmm. and there's only mm-hmm. a few more days left. Two more Avoid days. Avoid that number. Avoid that number. All right. That's all. All right. We'll be watching very carefully. Okay. And of course, you keep your subscribers up to date all the time on these on these issues, not just every other week when you come on our on our show. So it's OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com, folks. Go there and catch up with Michael's work. Thanks so much, Michael, for being with us again. Well, folks, we do have to. You bet. Uh, We're going to break now, and John Watson of NV Gold will be with me. 
uh, to give us an update on his projects, the projects that the NV is working on in Nevada. Uh, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again John Watson. He's the chairman and CEO of NV Gold Corp. And John is a, is a veteran in the mining industry. He's a, a geologist, well-known in Nevada, um, Had uh, was the president and CEO of Horizon Gold Corporation. It's a name I remember uh, years ago, for sure. Uh, but very well-known, very well-regarded, and um, uh, a, a lot of experience as an exploration geologist. So thanks for joining me again, John. Thank you, Jay. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Uh, yes, it's good to be where you are. Tell us where you are. Uh, I had a uh, short trip to Hawaii, and uh, so I'm actually there today, and I'll be here for another couple of days. All Not right. long enough. Well, uh, life's a beach, as they say. <laughs> Indeed. Well, uh, you've deserved it. You've earned it. You've worked hard over the years, that's for sure. And so we'd like to catch up with, uh, with the latest on NV Gold. I should tell our listeners uh, it's NVX on the Toronto. You can buy it down here in the U.S. as I have under NVGLF. I believe that's the right symbol. 80 million shares, more or less. Uh, 13.5 cents Canadian earlier today. That's it's a market cap of around 11 million Canadian money. So really a cheap stock. Cheap stock is all, of course, it's all relative, and and so we want to find out what the prospects are, John. And I know that um, 
you know, since our last view, there have been several news releases regarding ongoing field work. Uh, perhaps get, bring our listeners up to date on what's happened since we last spoke a, a couple of months ago. Absolutely. Um, just as before, I, before I answer that, I just wanted to compliment uh, uh, the previous part of the show, both your lead-in and Mike's comments as well. I think that with the things that are going on right now in North America and around the world, there are some huge dangers that are in front of us. And you, you distilled it extremely well. The younger guys that are out there right now are not paying attention to history. Mm-hmm. And us older guys, um, uh, I'm quite a bit younger than you are, maybe three years. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's really kind of frightening to watch what I'm seeing. Um, gold and silver are going to be the place to be and soon. Okay, so yeah. I'll start and I will answer the update questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The additional groundwork that we did at Slumber um, in the last six months or so has really helped us further understand the gold system that we discovered with our two small programs that we have done in the past 18 months. And as I've pointed out, Slumber is a concealed target, meaning mm-hmm. that it doesn't just stick up out of the ground and say, come drill me. It requires a number of additional steps in order to make a discovery. These kind of projects require a lot of adding up of clues, and those clues are usually only minimally expressed, so you kind of have to go around and solve the puzzle. Mm -hmm. There's very little outcrop to work with at Slumber, so the groundwork takes a lot of time. The drilling that we've already done uh, can be used to help us see the three-dimensional picture and the geophysics that we did brings the story into focus. And then the follow-up on the ground, boots on the ground type work uh, really helps us see a very good target, maybe maybe a really, really good target. And that's what we're planning on drilling coming up in the next, in less than a month. Uh, I would expect that we'll see a drill turning there by the middle of October, maybe a little bit later. And it'll be about a thousand meter program uh, in three holes, um, and these will be maybe 300 meter holes. The target is a little shallow, shallower up there than what we were looking for a little further south. Uh, we're looking for the essentially the throat of a volcanic vent. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, so once slumber is completed, we'll move on. We'll move the drill south to Discovery Bay. Now, Discovery Bay is um, a much earlier project. It's also a concealed target, and our program is the maiden drilling on the property, the modern maiden drilling anyway. The holes in this program are more uh, of an investigational-type program. Mm -hmm. Since there's post-mineral cover, the holes are assessing alteration, uh, geochemical zonation, and will help us develop the vectors for our future work. Mm -hmm. It's an initial look under the valley cover. So we're sort of lifting up the skirt and looking underneath. A little bit of scouting. A couple of historical holes. Mm -hmm. A little scouting, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a couple of historical holes on this large property, so it's really, really early. And we can see from some historical gravity work that there is abundant 
structural preparation. Now, this property, as I think we've pointed out before, is about eight miles from uh, southeast of Cove McCoy. Uh, in the same structural trend, the structural preparation is exceptionally good from what we can see in the geophysics. So we're permitting a four-hole program. And again, it'll total up about 1,000 meters, <clears throat> maybe a little bit more. And mm -hmm. at this stage, we would measure success by discovering good alteration halo and strong trace element signature, meaning uh, arsenic, antimony, uh, you know, that suite where it tells you that you are in the neighborhood of a, of a big gold system. If you, if you have gold included in it, all the better, but that's not absolutely required. So sure. the expectations that we have are that we're going to see alteration, we're going to see decalcification, uh, we're going to see uh, elevated trace elements, and if we do that, it's a really successful program because it's a huge area. It's not something that you would expect to gut shot an ore body or anything like that. It, this is part of the hard work that you have to do to make one of those big discoveries. Mm -hmm. you know, we want to be taken over like uh, that thing you announced earlier. We, that's the sort of yeah. thing that we're shooting for. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then yeah. the next program after that, and I'm going to get to how this is all happening in a minute. The yeah. next program will be a tick handle which is several miles, maybe 20 miles south of Discovery Bay. And it has a, it's a very similar project, much with the same approach. Um, there's been no historical drilling there, and there's been a modest amount of outcrop that we could look at, and our mapping and sampling has been really encouraging. Again, mm -hmm. very early stage, so our expectations are very cautious. It'll be a short program, similar size maybe, and it'll clarify both structure, stratigraphy, and alteration. Mm -hmm. So those are the three things that are, are teed up right now. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's um, early early days, uh, obviously. But, uh, again, you know, for, for most people that don't follow the press releases closely, unless they see some eye-popping gold intervals a lot of times, they're not really getting that what a successful drill program is. And I think that's, uh, you know, experienced geologists like yourself, Quentin Henning is very good. A lot of people we have on help uh, lay people understand, you know, when you're starting to smell or see what you need to see leading up to a system, that's very important. Now, these are, I suppose, orogenic, uh, deep-seated. Um, the origins are very deep, I suppose. These are these all three of these that you've talked about. Actually, Discovery Bay has multiple components. Mm -hmm. And one of those components, there's some Triassic sediments that are, are oh, exposed okay. in the nearby hills there. So uh -huh. may, there, we think that there is a, a, a window into the sediments there, and that would make it tending a bit toward a Carlin system. Uh -huh. And so we have, we'll have multiple objectives there. That's a, that is an extremely promising property, and it's huge. Huge. It'll, uh, when we finish our claim staking out there, It'll probably be, I don't know, four or five square kilometers, maybe more. Mm -hmm. um, so you're so currently, are you drilling anything now, or you you will be? I guess that's what you're saying. You'll start out, uh, you'll start out drilling uh, at slumber um, by mid October, Correct. and then Correct. and then. So you have drill. I think drill uh, drill. It's been difficult getting uh, drill rigs uh, and other equipment. Are you <laughs> able these days? Uh. A lot of competition. Yeah, and I'll, I'll touch on it. 
I'll, I'll touch on that a little further along when I, I okay. I'll get the stage set on it. Um, it. Well, let's talk a little bit about Sandy. Um, I've yeah. had a number of phone calls in the last uh, couple of weeks about Sandy. Well, what's happening with Sandy? Well, mm-hmm. it it took us some time uh, to get an IP program set up at Sandy. We it's a uh, it's a huge block of of mineralized rock. So it and it's not it's mostly covered. And the outcrop that you do have is not terribly helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, like everything in our business right now, it's extremely difficult to get contractors on site. Mm-hmm. They've been backed up from last year's COVID interruptions. Uh, they have staff issues. And we would have liked to have had this IP work to assist the program that we want to do. But we had, because we did have some considerable success earlier in this year, with what we had, mm-hmm. um, but the IP work now is a focusing mechanism, and it's been explained in much more detail in the press release that came out yeah. today, so if you haven't seen it, um, I encourage everyone to go to the website uh, and have a look at it. Mm-hmm. There's a very good target that's been identified by the work that we've that we've done in the past, and it correlates well with several of our, our uh, drill holes in Q1. The next drilling will test this target and should be undertaken early in Q1 of 2022. Mm-hmm. So three months or so. The other, there are several other projects that are going to be in front of that. Uh, but given that it builds on some successful intercepts that we already have, the potential for discovery at Sandy is uh, increasingly good. We're, we're pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. The Sandy Gold System is very large, very robust, and it resides in a promising neighborhood with you know the likes of Com- Comstock and and Hercules. So watch for more news on on Sandy. We certainly will. Uh, all right. So just a few minutes left here yet. Um, tell our tell our listeners why you know I mean, this is a very crowded market, as you know. There's so many names out there, so many little junior mining companies that are trying to find something big. Uh, what? How would you? How would you distinguish NB Gold from so many others? Well, um, all right, let's take a look at the uh, sort of the asset inventory that we have. We're going to be drilling on several projects in short order. We do have equipment that's lined up. We have 20-plus properties in our stable, uh, some of which are very active. Others are are looking for JVs and leases and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have abundant experience in Nevada. We have sufficient financing to fund our upcoming programs without doing any more dilution, and we'll be generating uh, quite a bit of news in the next two quarters. Uh, three to six projects will be very active over the next 12 months, including two that will be undertaking second or third stage drilling, Slumber and Sandy, and, and two or three more that will have initial drilling programs. So I'll give you six reasons why we should be among the top tier of junior exploration companies. We have highly experienced management. We have over 150 years among the, the brain trust here. Mm-hmm. We have a good cash position, uh, $3 million or so Canadian, which is good for the next 12 months of our work. Our property pipeline, which includes the generation of new ones and exploration of existing ones. We have multiple geologic environments and a, a variety of target types. So exploration is a numbers game. You've got you've to kiss a lot of frogs to find the prints. <laughs> Our share structure is just under 80 million shares, and it's tight for a 12-year-old company. 
Mm-hmm. Our management is well invested in the company with participation in multiple private placements starting from day one. Uh, I have, I've mentioned before that I personally have a pretty significant cash investment in the gold. I have participated mm-hmm. in the majority of all the private placements that have been done in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're having an exciting year with a lot of success and a lot of work that's been completed with a full plate in front of us. We will be a very busy company. We anticipate completing at least three drill programs on three separate projects before the end of 2021, and shortly after that, we'll have have more. Um, This, the first will be at Slumber, and it'll be starting in the next two to four weeks. And sum it all up, our value premise is, our priority is money in the ground, not on promotion, and our people mm-hmm. have the experience to make that money count. Mm-hmm. And discovery is our goal. Well, and if you discover, I would say your eight million U.S. market cap right now could very easily be tenfold. Um, I'm not promising anything. Nobody can. Nobody knows. But for sure, um, you know, it's hard to find companies with your kind of experience and the kind of assets that you have uh, at this price these days. So I think it's really something people need to, to keep an eye on and, and watch for those uh, indicator minerals when you're first drill hole. And if you start to see what you want to see, then maybe put a little more money into the deal. That's the way I play it anyway. Uh, John, it's really good having you. Any One last quick thought, perhaps, because we are really out of time. Understood. Um, it's exciting times. I think that both the upcoming market, the promise of the gold market, and Hopefully, the support that the equities market will get uh, looks very good right now. It's, uh, you know, all the indicators are telling us where this is going to go. And our little company is uh, stable, experienced, and I think you'll see a lot of good news coming from us in the next three to six months. Excellent. Well, thank you, John, for being with us, and we'll look to keep up with you in this uh, in uh, soon as soon as you start to have some more news we'll certainly let our listeners know thank you so much all right folks well we do have to I go to break it, now Jay. but you. uh, you're welcome uh, don't go away John Rubino will be with us to talk about uh, these markets uh, very interesting markets to say the least so we'll be right back with John Rubino Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me my good friend, John Rubino. Uh, John is the author of several books, including The Dollar Collapse, uh, the co-authored with James Turk. And he is a proprietor and author of many articles at dollarcollapse.com. Thanks for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay. Well, we picked a good day to talk, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. Uh, Yeah, it's a very interesting day. I'm looking at the NASDAQ now down 367. Dow's down 470, and the S&P down 76. So, yeah, uh, volatility is up. Um, you know, almost everything is down. I was just saying a little bit ago that um, the only things I could find that's up, we see on the livestock area, almost everything, even uh, with the exception of live cattle, which is down a little bit. You have feeder cattle, lean hogs, pork cutout, uh, class 3 milk, non-fat dairy, dry milk, butter, uh, and cheese, those are all up today. And a lot of the soft commodities, cotton, coffee, sugar, uh, lumber's not up, but then it had a, a tremendous run a few, uh, several weeks ago. Uh, and sugar is up. So the only things that seem to be up are the sort of food items. I didn't say, I saw the grains were down earlier today, but in any event, what, do, what are your comments? What are your thoughts just uh, to get started here on, the, on today's markets? Because they really are fascinating today. Well, I think it's really ominous what you just talked about because those are the things that people notice. In other words, food prices are going up, right? The cost of living um, as it applies to regular people rather than investors uh, is starting to really surge. Because in in the past, we've had raging inflation for the past couple of decades in the U.S., but it's been um, narrowly focused in financial assets. Stocks, Mm -hmm. bonds, and real estate have soared, Mm -hmm. uh, but what normal people have to pay for the things that they need to live, those things didn't really go up that much. So most people assumed that the government statistics about inflation were correct when they were actually kind of lies because they left out the things that were were going up so dramatically. But now that's shifted. You know, you you go to Costco and they don't have toilet paper and the things that you normally buy are suddenly much more expensive. uh, And your perception of the world changes dramatically. So I I think we're, we're heading into a time when, um, when people start to assume that inflation is a real thing and they're going to extrapolate their recent experience into the indefinite future and, and start actingly, acting accordingly by hoarding stuff and, and maybe by investing in things that are traditional inflation hedges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just generally, it's a really bad thing because, um, you know, thinking back to the last time we had this kind of an environment in the 1970s, that was a really chaotic environment. And it's not one that we want to revisit, although we seem to be revisiting it in a lot of different ways. And it's not one that's fixable using the tools of the 1970s. So this is going to be a a very scary, hard to get through thing if it turns out that we are recapitulating the 1970s. Yeah, it's really hard to see how we're not. Uh, And and more and more, and I think even the Fed is now giving up the talk about transitory inflation. Uh, I haven't, I'm not a real close Fed watcher, but it's my understanding 
that uh, Chairman Powell is not using the word transitory in his uh, most recent appearances before Congress. And uh, there's more and more taper talk. And I don't know if that's to, to what extent uh, taper talk is, is driving interest rates higher or if interest rates are rising and they're forcing taper talk on, um, you know, on, on Chairman Powell. What are your thoughts? Are there still people left at the Fed? I thought they all got fired for insider <laughs> trading. <laughs> well, there's two of them that are resigning, I think, because of allegations yes. of that. So, um, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's not a good thing. Um, I mean, for confidence in, in our institutions, is it? Oh, my God, no, because remember, these are the guys who manage monetary policy, which in turn affects the prices of financial assets. While they were doing that, they were speculating in those same financial assets. In other words, they were loading up on stocks or bonds or whatever it was that was going to go up once the Fed made its next big announcement. So, yeah, this is just the most blatant kind of insider trading, and these guys seem to be clueless about it. They just thought it was their, you know, their right as aristocrats to trade mm -hmm. on the knowledge they have of what they're going to do to affect the market, to affect the markets next. Um, and yeah, it, it feeds back into this sense that we can't trust the people in charge anymore. Yeah. Because um, I'll go through the, just a, a really quick list, because otherwise we'll spend the whole show just talking about why we can't trust the, the government right. and the big players anymore. But, right. you know, this Afghanistan thing, our exit is eerily similar to our exit from Vietnam with the same yes. visuals and everything and the same sense of incompetence on the part of the people who are running it. And then the pandemic. Uh, these guys, you know, speaking of the science, like it's some kind of religion, they, they keep changing their minds. You know, what, what, you, uh, what is the science one month and what you're not allowed to say on YouTube changes from month to month now. These guys have no idea what they're talking about, or that's the perception that they're mm -hmm. giving the rest of us. And now they're, they're starting to be really coercive. Like, the, you know, the U.S. government is, is planning to court-martial soldiers who don't want to get vaccines. Well, that's what I understand. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and healthcare workers are being fired, even though, you know, these healthcare workers worked with no vaccines for a solid year, putting their, their own health at risk to treat people during the, the first part of the COVID pandemic. And now they're being told if they don't get vaccinated, they're fired. <laughs> so it, it, it seems authoritarian and incompetent. And then yeah, the border yeah. thing is a huge mess and, and Fed insider trading and shortages leading to inflation. All of this stuff leads to uh, a sense on the part of a growing number of people that we cannot trust the people in charge because they're either crooked or they're incompetent or both. Mm -hmm. And remember, they're the guys running the currency. So that feeds directly back into, you know, your, your thesis and my thesis that we're going to have a giant currency crisis at some point. And you want to you own the things that benefit from that, not the things that are hurt by it. Well, certainly the politicians, uh, to the extent that we're dependent on government, uh, if they can make us dependent on government, then we'll vote for them. We'll vote for the ones that give us the most stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly makes, I mean, if, if, you know, from a Democrat point of view, it certainly makes sense to open up the borders. And especially if poor people want to come here, bring them in, bring them in. They're all going to need handouts. They're going to need free this, free, free, free health care, free food, free education, free everything. And if you can have more and more voters like that, then you can really gain control, I think. Yeah, it's in part a strategy for electoral control. But, you know, we have to remember on the inflation issue that both 
sides of the establishment like open borders because oh, Republicans yeah. like all that cheap labor coming in who, you know, who can't complain about dangerous working conditions because they don't know if they're going to get deported. That's great for guys who own factories. And, and the, uh, the Democrats love all those cheap nannies and, and maids and things like that, besides having voters that will tend, at least in the first generation, you know, mm -hmm. uh, immigrants tend to homogenize. You know, they, they um, become regular Americans after mm -hmm. one generation normally, and you can't predict their voting patterns after that. But in that first generation, they tend to pr vote for the people giving them the most free stuff because mm -hmm. they, you know, legitimately need a lot of stuff. Sure. Uh, and that benefits the Democrats. So, yeah, you, you know, you can see why immigration is such a tough issue and why the Democrats in practice love open borders. They don't, you know, say they do, but they behave as if they do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, these... Um, these images of 10,000 Haitians coming over from Mexico and, and filling up uh, some park under a bridge in Texas. That's not good for the Democrats, though, because it can't be chaotic. You know, if, it, if, it ha if it's going to happen, if open borders are going to happen, they have to happen in an orderly way. And it is not happening in an orderly way, yeah. uh, which is part of the incompetence thing. They can't even cheat um, competently, really. They, they mess up everything they try. Even when they're trying something that's illegitimate, they don't do it smoothly and, and professionally. They just can't do it. Well, if they can keep it out of the news and keep people from knowing that, um, that things are happening, for example, I know that the, uh, that the Biden administration uh, disallowed um, drones from flying over uh, that bridge to take pictures and so forth. And uh, I guess they backed away from that after a while. But they, as soon as that became known, they got those people out of there really fast. They got those 12,000 people, whatever it was, out of there and spread them over around the United States in different places. So whatever. I just wonder, though, John, um, you know, these, this, these are political issues for sure. But it comes down, as you say, both Republicans and Democrats are to blame for all of this mess. And what I mean, how are we going to pay for it? That's the question. And it's not as if. It's not as if we can't, we're, we're not already insolvent, essentially, with all of the trillions of dollars of debt that we have that can never be repaid in anything like the current value of the dollar, and that's going down very rapidly. But now the Democrats are trying to push a $3.5 trillion, uh, I think it's more of a welfare expenditure thing, uh, through. And it's not as if Trump didn't do the same thing when he was president. So, I mean, we can't point fingers one party to the other and say that we're you know, you're the bad ones and we're the good ones. No, uh, it's sort of like when you can print money out of nothing. If you have that money tree from the Federal Reserve that can create with keystrokes endless amounts of money, then we'll, you know, you can understand why AOC thinks there's no end limit to what we can spend money on, right? But, yeah. there is, but there are limits. We know from history there are limits and this thing can't go on forever. Well, have, having a, an unlimited printing press has completely corrupted the political process and by implication, the guys running the political process. Right. So, um, yeah, when the Republicans get in into power, they immediately enact their wish list, which is massive corporate tax cuts and a, a big jump in military spending. When the Democrats yeah. come into power, their wish list, which they try to push through right away, is uh, massive social spending. Uh, and, and then you know, they borrow enough money to cover it, then they have the Fed produce enough new currency to cover the interest on the debt that they had to take on, and so on. You know, it doesn't matter who's in power. We get exactly the same thing mathematically. In other words, mm -hmm. we there's just as much currency creation under um, 
Republicans as Democrats. Right. And yeah, eventually it blows up the currency, you know, and, and that's human history. You can go all the way back to the Roman Empire to see this exact same process playing out. Only now we have technology and we're global, which is a which is not a good thing. I think it makes the eventual crisis that much worse, but it gives us um, an extra decade or two in which to play these games while all the central banks of the world are acting in concert. Uh, So when this blows up, it'll blow up like nothing in history has ever blown up. But the shape of the crisis will be pretty similar um, as to what happened, for instance, in the Roman Empire or France in the 1700s or Germany in the the 1920s. It's going to look like that. It'll just be global and therefore much, much worse. Well, if it's global right now, the dollar is still at this moment, uh, still the world's reserve currency or the main international currency. Um, Are we headed towards some sort of a single currency, do you think, John? How do you think this is going to play out with... You know, Frank Holmes was here a couple of weeks ago talking about how the Chinese, with their digital currency, are looking to back it by gold. Uh, Alistair McLeod says, well, I don't know why they would do that. But uh, any thoughts on how this will shake out? Well, the idea that anybody has a coherent plan at this point is probably over-optimistic. Uh-huh. These guys, no, they've never done anything like this before. You know, right. no, no country has ever introduced a, a digital currency like the digital yuan or or. Um, the Fed dollar or whatever they're going to call ours. Uh, So they don't really know about the unintended consequences of it. And they they really just are winging it. So they're going to try lots of different things, I imagine. And none of them will work in the sense that it takes us back to a a time of a healthy economy that grows organically without mountains of new debt. That's not a possibility as long as governments have control over the supply of these currencies. And when you look at um, the the levels of control that are possible with, for instance, what China is trying to do, it's it's terrifying. So these, mm-hmm. these new digital currencies are in reality going to be means of control. They're not going to be an improvement in monetary policy. They're going to be a way for the government to reach into your bank account and force you to obey. In other words, if you speak out against the next war that the government wants to prosecute, they can take money out of your bank account if, if they feel like it, or do all kinds of other things to your money mm-hmm. um, with these new digital currencies. And they can track everything you do wherever you spend. You know, it's, it's going to be yeah. a mess. Yeah. yeah, that seems to be the, the fear. Uh, you know, and I don't think the younger people really understand this to, to, the, to this extent. John, I think it's those of us who have run up brought up and have enjoyed the liberty uh, and we can look back and you know in history and look at other things other peoples in my lifetime I mean I was born right after World War II and so it was pretty fresh in everybody's memory what happened in Germany and uh, in dictatorships around the world during the Cold War uh, you know I, I think that the time has passed it to such extent that a lot of people I don't really, it's not a reality to most of the younger people. When they've lived in, in good times, they can't foresee the idea that they wouldn't be able to do what they want to do when they want to do it. But uh, it's really, it's really, so John, in terms of, we only have a few minutes yet, who's going to pay for this? I mean, tax the rich is what AOC is saying. Uh, print more money is what we all expect will happen. Uh, and that creates inflation, which then sort of pushes the cost on the middle class, I would guess. I mean, to what well, extent is that one that rich going to pay for this this thing? I mean, the, the history says the rich find ways to get out of paying. 
Yeah, you can't really tax the rich. And uh, so to the, to the extent that anybody pays for any of this, it's going to be the people who trust the government because it's going uh -huh. to be paid for via inflation, which is a stealth tax. Mm -hmm. In other words, they print a lot of money and spend it, and the money in your bank account becomes a little bit less valuable because of that new currency that was created. Mm -hmm. So your wealth shrinks while the wealth of the guys who get the money immediately from the government grows. That's how inflation works, and that's really their only tool in their own minds to get out from under this because yeah. they, they can't legitimately raise taxes. They can't get away with it because both major parties are beholden to the same groups of corporations that are absolutely not going to pay 20 or 30% more in taxes. They just won't do that. Uh, they can't cut spending in order to pay for other spending because then the people who are dependent on the spending that's going to be cut will hit, hit the streets and, uh, and, and we'll have civil unrest on a scale that we haven't seen in a long time, at least since the 1960s. Um, so there's no way to pay for any of this. They're just going to spend the money. They're going to try to inflate their way out of this debt, and eventually it will blow up on them. John, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I want to ask you about something very interesting that you told me uh, this morning before we went on the show about road vehicles, and you're writing an article that will be posted, I guess, uh, either later today or tomorrow, I suppose, at dollarcollapse.com. Could you talk, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you've learned about road vehicles? Yeah, well, um, RVs, or rec recreational mm -hmm. vehicles, right. are, are these giant homes on wheels, and they used to be a great indicator of a market top, because that's sort of the last toy that somebody buys when they're drunk on new credit. You know, they get a motorcycle, they get a boat, big pickup truck, and then finally an RV. And that's a sign, when RVs are booming, that's a sign the market is going to tank. And then you buy an RV at the bottom of the next cycle when all these idiots have to sell them for um, uh, pennies on the dollar. Well, what's happening now is something different. RVs, instead of being a, a toy of the, um, the idiot with yet another credit card, is that that's the home of last resort for people who are, are on their way to homelessness. So RV sales actually boom during hard times now. So there's an RV maker call, called Thor Industries that is way up today, even though the rest of the stock market is tanking. Thor uh. is up like 7 or 8% because hard times are actually great times for RVs. So that's, that's a sign we're becoming a third world country, to put it briefly. Wow. So people are looking to RVs as their homes. Yes, and the more the more people we throw into poverty, the more RVs are demanded out there. So the more the RV makers look like good investments, it's not a good thing, you know. It, that's really it's a true thing. Yeah, that's really interesting, John. I, I must say, uh, just maybe one more quick comment on the gold markets. Today's um, with um, Agnigal Eagle announcing that they will be merging with Kirkland Lake. I guess in a friendly merger. What do you make of that? I, I think this might be one of the beginning moves in what is guaranteed to be this huge wave of acquisitions in the gold industry, because the big companies are not replacing their um, reserves, by and large, which means they're shrinking, and they've got to get new reserves from somewhere, so they're going to start buying up the littler guys, uh, which means junior miners that have good properties are going to be very hot commodities over the next few years, and they're going to be bought out for really nice premiums over today's prices. So even in, in a, a kind of a brutal market like today's, uh, it's good to start looking around for that, uh, that relative handful of potential tier one properties out there. In other words, big 
properties that can move the needle for a um, an Agnico Eagle or a Newmont or somebody like that. And and you want to own those junior mining stocks because mm-hmm. they're going to be bought out um, for a lot of money in the not too distant mm-hmm. future. You know, there's certainly a number of them that I think have that have that chance, uh, John. And I know you and I talk about them from time to time. I did talk to Chris Taylor um, yesterday, and he indicated that he thinks. How did he put it? The the uh, the foxes are are circling the wagon or something like that. In other words, I, he said that yesterday before the announcement was coming out. That uh, and he's concerned, of course, that Great Bear could be taken over too cheaply. He's really hoping to stave off this uh, the, these uh, predators until at least after he gets to do his uh, initial resource and uh, expected to be actually um, a five more than a five million ounce per ton resource and. He told me, he says, uh, if you know of any other company that's made in resources in addition, in excess of 5 million ounces, tell me, because I've never heard of one. So uh, Great Bear is one I think is going to be a target. Uh, I don't know how much it will sell over its current price, but, of course, Chris is trying to hold them off as long as he can. Well, my uh, engineer is telling me it's all over. Taylor, you've got you to quiet down and uh, leave the uh, show for the next, uh, the next show uh, coming on. So... John, thank you so much for being with us again, and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime soon. So, Thanks, Jay. Uh, all right, folks. Well, next week, uh, Michael Hudson of Hannon Metals and Frank Holmes of U.S. Global will be with me. Um, Frank will talk about cryptocurrencies, gold, and gold shares. So until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.